Clay, I'm not a uniform aficionado the way that you are. I don't really notice. I don't sweat the small stuff is the way that I like to think about it in the air. So sure. you do notice the uniforms when I do. Although I will say my favorite moment, my favorite scene from this episode, which is Cupid's errant arrow, was the DS9 flashback, which I found charming oh, yeah. in a lot of different ways where uh, they are wearing, they're on DS9, so the lighting is different. I like that. I could were go they for specifically an, on DS9? Yeah, they were on DS9. So yep. they were? Yep. Okay. And the, uh, the, the lighting were, yeah. was more orange and uh, angular, as it's wont to be. And uh, they're wearing the late season DS9 uniforms in that one, mm-hmm. which is kind of a neat neat callback. Uh, and the scene is actually very funny, I think, outside of that. But I don't know if you... Um, if you do, you think that the series is like playing around with the uniforms enough? I, I'm surprised I noticed it really. I think I noticed more DS9 than anything like that. But I do, I do like the show. If anything, just because it can do stuff like that and make it seem seamless in a lot of ways. So it's kind of neat to see stuff like that. Yeah, I like seeing the throwback stuff like that. Um, they, I, uh, they haven't really done much uniform messing around in the present. It's all pretty much straightforward uh, lower deck stuff, lower decks era stuff. Is it Picard um, styled? I, would you say that the new the uniforms they wear are they Picardish looking? Uh, they have sort of that angular shoulder design. Yeah, I don't think they're exactly that, um, but I, they're probably closer to that than they are to the uh, the TNG stuff. Yeah, not, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't compare it, but. Let's take a break. We are going to play a clip from the episode, and then we'll come back, and we're going to break down Cupid's Errant Arrow. Well, you know, whatever. It was no big deal. I managed to reverse the polarity and reboot the time stream. Good thing, too, because, ooh, 1920 Chicago? Nobody's washing their hands. <laughs> oh, I love that story, Bun-Bun. Wow, oh, that's so amazing. And now you date Brad. <sighs> I know, I swore I'd never do long distance, but then I met this goofball on Bendu last month. You radiate primal confidence. I'm sure you felt it. No, I try not to feel anything around Brad. All right, so this episode is called Cupid's Errant Arrow. It is the fifth episode of the first season of Star Trek Lower Decks. came out on September 3rd, 2020. Written by Ben Joseph, directed by Kim Arndt, and in-universe date is 57601.3, which is 2380. In this episode, Mariner is suspicious of Boimler's new girlfriend. Tendi and Rutherford grow jealous of a bigger starship's gear. Um, I think we've settled into what Lower Decks kind of is at this point. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of fearful of this episode. I don't know... I'm not. I don't think this is quite Mandalorian level yet. Where we made a, you know, a couple episodes into the Mandalorian's first season, we're like, there's nothing to talk about in each episode. It's all, it's all very small and like similar to each other. So mm-hmm. I don't really know what mm-hmm. else you can really add to it. But um, I think this one sort of clarified to me why maybe this show will never be great if it continues down this track. Um, I, I think that they pulled. I mentioned that DS9 joke that I liked a lot, right? Where the uh, she flashes back to meeting an old a friend's new boyfriend who's the perfect guy, and he turns out to be a shapeshifter that sort of go, right. goes crazy and does this like really dark, cynical thing of killing his girlfriend. I I know this is a Star Trek show, and they can't do it. I really like when they go dark in this show. I think mm-hmm. it's like the funniest and most like interesting stuff that they do. Um, and sometimes I think that they pull back. So I like the DS9 stuff, and. I was kind of let down that this episode doesn't do a whole lot of stuff with the ex-boyfriend of this girlfriend that he's got. So is that like the big black character who comes into this? Sure. He's he's there and it's kind of a joke, but I felt like there's this whole 
maybe less Star Trek, but more funny angle to go with that guy, I was thinking, than anything else. And I was kind of let down by like the Star Trek humor. It's like, okay, it's kind of cute and everything. But I don't know if I'm being unfair. I just think that this show will never be as like cutting or incisive as something like Rick and Morty, really. So mm. it's like it's it's kind of in this medium area where I kind of wish that they would go farther and darker. I like the transcendence joke from the last episode, and that's very dark. I like the uh, the shapeshifter thing. I don't know what you think about it, or if that was something that crossed your mind. Uh, I I liked I liked this one. Um, I I don't know if they needed to do more with the ex boyfriend because I I feel like then that becomes a different episode. Then it becomes more. They kind of they're kind of uh, straddling two sitcommy tropes here between the cooler ex-boyfriend and the friend who doesn't believe that uh, your girlfriend is all she seems to be. Yeah. Um, and I think doing, I, I, they clearly picked which one they wanted to do. Uh, and I think if they did, I don't know. I think the other one, the other one would be pretty samey for me. I, I don't think it would have been super interesting. Yep. Um, whereas the one they did choose, they managed to give it a kind of Star Trek spin. Um which I liked. I thought it was nice. Uh, again, they're showing that Mariner isn't infallible. You know, she was wrong. Yeah. Is um, this the first one she's been wrong? Or she, I guess she was wrong. She's been wrong a she, few times. There, there was point. another episode where something she did wasn't exactly what needed to. I forget exactly. but um, The hand-to-hand one where she's on the planet with the first officer. And he she's not wrong in that one, right. but he, he gets the upper hand in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is nice because uh, it it allows her it allows her uh, overzealousness to be uh, a negative as much as it's an asset. You know, you can play both ways with that, that element of the character. I continue to really enjoy the Star Trek plots that they do in this show because I think the blowing up the moon thing um, and having to relocate a whole race of people or whatever. I thought that was a very Star Trekky kind of thing. Yeah. Um, are these too Again, slight? Though, are they too slight? Is my question. Like, the joke works, and I like the the build up to the payoff of like my civilization is two people. I just finished right. the floors. Like, don't blow this up. I think that's fine. I just I wonder if there's more meat on these bones that is going mm-hmm. to waste because I I just feel like you could mine these situations a little bit more than they do, and it's it's partly a, a thing of the pacing, which is fast, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's Discovery or Picard fast. It's just fast because it's an animated show and they have to keep sure. moving stuff. But- well, I I think I think the the other the the reason that's probably happening is because the show's called Lower Decks. And so ultimately all of the focus is going to be on the Lower Decks characters and if they're not directly involved with whatever the overarching Star Trekky plan is in a direct way, then that's why it ends up getting short shrift because I, I it's not I was going to say this one also continues to wrap as the other ones have. It wraps that up very quickly. Yeah. Like once, once they get to the O, it's just two people. That's a funny little bu- button, but then boom, they blow up the moon and everything's back to normal. Yeah, um, which is kind of the same way it's been going previously. Whether it's the cure for the zombie thing or the the emulsion that turned this ship into trees or whatever. It's yeah. all over. It's over very quickly. You can't, you, um, they, I mean, I'm, I kind of understand it because they can't stretch the joke. Like the, the solution to the joke answer can't be stretched out because then it no longer works as a joke. It's like, it's mm-hmm. like making your punchline five times as long as it needs to be. And right. It's like, that would have been funny, but you could cut it down a little bit. Um, and I think that's what it is. It's just that 
I think it's kind of similar to the boyfriend and the Mariner plot line where it feels like they are, they're <coughs> like me, including, because the pace is the way it is, they include plot lines that I don't think are totally necessary to anything. And it's like it, at mm. a certain, at a certain point, you're just kind of layering on jokes, but I feel like there are certain angles that I would rather go with the show than some things like the, I think on some level I'm, surprised that they have not redone the character pairings it's always mariner and boimler at this point it's always rutherford and tendy and so when they do things like they introduce the 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 boyfriend to it i feel like there's something there that boimler could do without mariner being involved in it so directly as to like being like the only pairing that they have and i don't know like it's it's there's ways i think to take that thing and spin it in a kind of like more uh, poking fun at Star Trek tropes than it is to have Mariner just be like, something's wrong with this boyfriend or this girlfriend-boyfriend relationship. I don't know. I, 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 kind of, I kind of find myself wishing that they would just settle on something and go through it very um, thoroughly, I suppose. Sure. Like, and, sure. and they don't seem to do that as a writing standard on this show. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, this this one's interesting because they I I don't I, yes I feel like Mariner's involved, but the stuff involving the boyfriend I feel like is more or less just Boimler. Yeah. Um. Although they again they yeah they don't do too many they don't spend too much time on it. But, no. Um, um. To the point of th- there's not even a lot of jokes about. You know, the, the sort of stock thing there is that there's Boimler starts seeing all these scenes that make him think that she would rather be with this other boyfriend. And mm-hmm. th- that's kind of the implication, but it's not really, you know, the most they they do the very stereotypical comedy thing of like when she sees her old boyfriend, she jumps and he carries her and like swings her around and sure, stuff. And he's like, put sure. her down. I They set it up that way. And especially because Mar- I think Mariner calls that character like the second coolest person on this ship. So like mm-hmm. it's something built in. I I know that it's because it's Star Trek. They have to play up the Star Trek tropes. So Mariner has to think that something has gone wrong or is fishy here. I just, for Boimler's characterization, I think it makes more sense that he would be nervous about this boyfriend than he is. And he's more nervous about Mariner sort of annoying him or showing something uh, is going to be wrong with his relationship. I, it's it's I, just personal I don't know stuff. If I, I don't know if I agree with that because I feel like all of his actions in the episode are specifically to counteract the thing with the ex-boyfriend, whether it's him going into the uh, meeting with her and trying to act cool or... But that's not because of the boyfriend, is it? He's just trying to spend time with her and that character is with her all the time. I never get the sense... He's never, he's never acting well, I mean, tough she's in front always, of that guy. She's, he's never what? He's never like sort of trying to play himself up in front of that. He never treats that well, character as some kind of a threat and like interacts with him in any way. I I mean he's trying to make himself look cooler as a direct counterpoint to this cooler guy who's spending all his time with her because mm-hmm. every scene where he does it that guy is also there and it usually ends with the the girlfriend and the old ex boyfriend like chuckling with each other yeah so it's not I mean he doesn't like challenge him to a fight or anything but he is definitely reacting uh, directly to to that guy's presence and 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 the reaction there the the Mariner stuff is just is. He yeah he doesn't want her to get involved, but what she's doing is is more kind of separate, um, 
and I, I, I'm, I, I actually don't mind the amount of time they spent on the on the boyfriend thing because I'd ra- I'd rather they do the the Mariner stuff just because, like you said, I, I think I think the thing with the boyfriend is too standard of a of a story. So they do a couple things. They have a couple jokes that they manage to Star Trek it up a little bit. But the the main thrust of that story is Mariner going nuts, mm-hmm. um, which I think is more. That's more interesting for me anyway because it's because I found the other side of it fairly stock. Um, and yeah. the other boyfriend being there is ultimately part of the payoff of when it turns when it turns out that Boimler's got that parasite thing attached to him. Where she's like, oh, okay, that's why she thought you were cooler than that other guy. So yeah, yeah. I guess I, I know that this show can't do it, but I see, I see something to explore in the ex-boyfriend route here. And like a in a Star Trek universe, what does it mean to have a neurotic character go up against a breakup that seems like it was Bashir and Lita from DS9, you know, where they're just like, sure. no, we're separate. And, but to, sure. have a, to have a character who's built in more neurotically interact with that and have the other characters kind of, you know, this is supposed to be the utopian Star Trek world. Like, you can't be hung up on this kind of thing, but he is in, in a mm-hmm. real sense. I, I, I feel like that's the more insightful take into Boimler, but I know that this show is built around playing off Star Trek stuff. Uh, so they're, they, they have to go with the, the Mariner plot line. I just, I, well, I just think, I just think those are two different stories is the only thing. Like, I, I'm not saying that what you're, what you're saying is, but they're making a choice. Is a, right. Is a, yeah. They have chosen to do the Mariner thing yeah. versus what you're saying with right. the Boimler thing. Yeah. 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 And I, the Mariner thing, I just, I don't, for the show to sort of, st- I, I think I somewhat understand what early critics are saying. Like for the show to stand on its own legs, I think that you have to get away from that Mariner storyline at some point. Maybe mm-hmm. not now, where it's only five episodes in, but at some point, sure. you have to move away and make the characters have almost more of like a sitcom setup, which is this a very stereotypical sitcom setup, meeting the ex boyfriend and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I prefer the show when it does a standard sitcom thing but then layers it with Star Trek on top of it, as sure. opposed to a Star Trek thing where they try to add jokes into a Star Trek setup. I think that's a better mm-hmm. way for the show to go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out because, I mean, uh, even in animation shows, uh, obviously it's different now that everything has to be has to be better faster because there's so much stuff. But, uh, like, even in animation shows, you can realize you need to shift your focus and on the different characters and whatnot. Cause I, uh, you know, the, the Simpsons was the Bart Simpson show for like two seasons. And then everybody realized that Homer was the better character. Yeah. So then it turned into the Homer show more or less. Um, South Park was Cartman's show for a while until they right. realized that Cartman is the antagonist of it. And not exactly. really, he's not really Kyle exactly. and Stan of it. So, yeah, I mean, that, cu- that stuff can shift. Uh, you can f- move your focus a little bit. I, I, I agree with you that I, 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 I'd like to see them mix it up a bit. Um, I, I don't dislike the pairings, though, because, uh, I mean, I guess the, the, th- the stuff they did in this episode with Tendi and Rutherford uh, wasn't bad. I thought, it was, I thought it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Um, but it was... I, I can see how if the only thing that they have going with these characters is that they both really like technical stuff, mm-hmm. you're going to run out of stories pretty quick. 
I um, it, it it stuck out to me just because Tendi has a line in this one where once it's revealed that they're going to be forcibly transferred to the other ship, she's like, "No, I don't want to leave my friends like Brad and uh, Beckett," and I'm just like, "Well." They don't really spend that much time together. Like across mm-hmm. these episodes, we haven't seen a tremendous amount of interaction or like inter- interplay between a lot of the characters. And it just made me, I'm just, I'm a little surprised that five episodes in, you haven't yet shifted this into Boimler and Tendi and Mariner and Rutherford or something like that. Like the, 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 the pairing gets mixed up a little bit because, well, I don't think that they've run out of material for the two of them. It just seems like you'd want to explore that angle sure. to see what works yeah. at this point and um they just really haven't done it like they've i i think you can count on one hand the amount of scenes they've all shared together across the entire five episodes probably they don't do it tremendously often yeah they they usually end up just kind of uh they have common area scenes basically but uh it's not like they're they're well there's no 10 yeah. there's not a lot of 10 forward closing out the episode scenes which i would kind of right. expect you well know? yeah no they you're right I, I was gonna say they they do a decent number of everybody's in their bunks together mm. but it's it's usually it's not usually like a, a a story ending thing it's a lot of times i think it's at the beginning and and or some somewhere in the middle but um yeah no i i, I i'm sure that they will mix it up a little bit because i think you have to um because I mean, uh, Bashir and O'Brien wasn't built in the day. You know no, what I mean? that's a that's, that's a lifetime. <laughs> They're still building it to this day. I I thought this episode was fine. I don't know if it was my favorite. I don't know if it was my least favorite. I liked the. I, I think I liked the concepts more than I liked the script in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the 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 planet thing was interesting and kind of cute i like the the representation of the aliens is kind of funny it's like one is like a, a long island 40 year old woman you know it's they're they're, <laughs> yeah. they're sort of in, they're sort of putting on strange uh personalities onto them and i like that i i kind of felt like the the boimler girlfriend thing was just a little bit lacking really like i, I expected something stronger than what they did and you know that they have to break up by the end and i thought the parasite was kind of a cute little twist but mm-hmm. um I expected more from it for some reason. It's just, it, I think it's just the lack of really like cynical cutting or something. Like I, I, I just, I, I don't know. And I know that that doesn't really fit this show, but I, I wonder how much I personally like an animated show that doesn't get a little bit uh, perverse with some of the stuff that sure, it's doing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I honestly have been enjoying it quite a bit. I, uh, I don't think it's reinventing. I've said it a million times. I don't think it's reinventing the wheel or anything. But I, as far as a enjoyable cartoon that takes place in the Star Trek world, I I'm enjoying. I I don't disagree that I think that they can push it a lot further than they have. Um, do you think it's in their interest be, to do that? Well, I was just thinking. I don't. I wonder if that's by decree or not. Yeah. If uh, if maybe there is some level of control being. Uh, no, I don't. Not to sound like a conspiracy theory. Just brand consistency. Brand consistency. Yeah, brand consistency. Like it's you know if you hire, if CBS hires the guy, a a guy whose uh, uh, main credit is Rick and Morty to do Star Trek, I have a feeling the people in charge of CBS are going to be a little gun shy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you're bringing this person in, but you're probably going to be like, could we like keep the incest to a minimum? Yeah. 
or you know like could, could we keep the could we keep the bludgeon you know like whatever the harder edge they're going to be a little bit cautious i would assume i wonder if i'd be complaining do. i wonder if i'd be complaining if it went the other way i go this is a little bit too this is a little bit too grim. I don't, I don't need this. Yeah. yeah. No, I, that's that's the thing, too. It's like I don't know if it necessarily – if you need to go too far in that direction because I think, I think when they do, I think they push it the right amount. I don't think they go overly dark. Um, like that DS9 flashback was nice. That was pretty dark, but I didn't feel like it was overly dark. Yeah. Um, and the Ascension thing is dark, but it's not overly dark. It's like it's it's dark, but it's it's – um surreal relayed. enough yeah where it's not yeah and it's yeah. and it's relayed in a way where it's still light enough that that it it, it doesn't feel out of place um because yeah o- overall i don't find it to be a cynical show no so i i i wonder how pushing it that far into cynicism might be a detriment to what what they're trying to do yeah but at the same time at the same time if you've got this set up in this star trek universe at this certain time in history would it not benefit you to have a character who was a cynic and see what you can get out of that you know what i mean because everybody else well i guess well is mariner kind of a i guess mariner's probably the closest thing you get to a cynic right um she's she's, she's clo- like really she's more that, cynical though, yeah. yeah she's more cynical about starfleet i think than she is about the world in general yes yeah um so even there it's like it's not it's not super cynical but i think i i think i get this my point of view from i don't i think that a lot of the trek jokes don't land for me i don't think they're funny mm-hmm. and like there's there's one here where he makes some offhand comment about like i'm more hopped up than something on a than a queue on a picard day you know a hopped yeah uh more 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 what does he say more anxious than a hopped up queue on picard yeah day something, something like that, that. and yeah. it's just like I don't think that's it's both not funny and it feels really ham fisted of like yeah. just there was a couple references. of those. Yeah, I, I noticed this, there those. was uh, the other one that I know. I usually that stuff doesn't bother me too much, I think, because they say it so fast. Yeah, uh, but yeah. but that one stood out to me. And also um, when he refers to uh, the ex-boyfriend as a Kirk Sunday with Trip Tucker sprinkles, yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's a little it's a bit of a stretch. But. It, yeah, that's that felt like um especially to say that because of uh you don't you don't interact with the character so it feels like reference for reference's sake there because that character right. has like two lines of dialogue and you can't really pull anything out of it. Could you imagine could you imagine if 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 you referred to 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 your girlfriend's ex-boyfriend as like an FDR Sunday with Ulysses S. Grant sprinkles or something. I don't, I don't know if that would really land in real life the way it does on, well, on people, this show. The, everyone you'd say that to would say, "Well, you must love him." Then, like that's true. He is right. He is a hero. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't like those. I don't really like those jokes just because they kind of take me out of it and. I guess there's a fine line between what I think works in that regard, which is kind of the whole saving the planet joke here, mm-hmm. I think works. And inverting it somewhat works. Like I I like less obvious jokes. There's a there's a joke where they where Tendi and Rutherford are trying to run away from that other engineer and they go through the Jeffrey's tube and the guy just runs down the hallway next to them and right, catches up right. with them. I like subtle stuff like that. I think that's kind of funny. And I, I semi like the turn of this guy doesn't want to work on a serious starship anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's the mm-hmm. reason he's done it. I didn't think that B plot was great, but it was 
serviceable, I suppose. But I, yeah, it was fine. I thought that twist I at still, the end was fine. I still enjoy Tendi and Rutherford as characters, so it's. I think their uh, their enthusiasm is infectious enough to get me through that plot. Yeah, I like Rutherford's voice actor. I think he's he's my favorite mm. voice out of all of the the characters on it. I think mm. he's pretty good. Yeah, you know, I I'm surprised. Like there's, I feel like there's so uh, again. Maybe they'll get into it. It's only five episodes in, but I'm surprised that they haven't used these characters more directly in in these Star Trek stories that they're telling. They're, yeah. Again, it's lower deck, so they're by nature they are s- side players. But um, like I'm I'm shocked that they haven't done something where like uh, uh, Rutherf- Rutherford wants to upgrade his cybernetic implant but it so he but he accidentally up, uploads like borg something you know yep. something like that where it's like these characters end up playing into the plot instead of being very reactionary to what's going on yeah because because the having them on the sidelines the way you do you are stuck doing sideline humor stuff which is fine to an extent or you're at you end up doing the more sitcommy plots that have a Star Trek veneer painted on yeah. them, which is what they did in this one. Yeah. So it's like I think I think that's the kind of thing that they have to dial in is like if these are going to be your main characters, how are they going to be? Uh, t- if you're if you're trying to send up Star Trek, you've got so much Star Trek baked into just these four characters that I think you can get a lot out of them without relegating them to to a side post. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would expect. I'm not. You're not. I'm not married to this concept of lower decks where they have to be separated. But I. I would like mm. more scenes of them on the bridge while the senior officers are there. Like at least one or two of them being involved in something like that. Um, yeah, because I, I. I think the show at this point is somewhat inconsistent with how it portrays the senior officers too. I don't think that the show knows what the best way to play them as is because. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the guy's name is not Jack reacher what's the the first officer ransom ransom jack ransom um he's he seems to flip-flop between whether or not he's kind of a serious star trek character or if he's a goofball like a parody Mm -hmm. version of it um the captain kind of feels the same way but i i would like them to be more mixed into the star trek plots i think Mm -hmm. down the line because i i don't know the satisfaction i'm going to get from them doing sitcom plots with these characters is going to be because right. i don't think the show supports that really well you know i'm i'm actually kind of surprised and obviously this is baked into the show from from the get-go but i'm kind of surprised that the the senior officers get as much screen time as they do because in my head a lower deck show if i were to conceptualize that you probably wouldn't even see the captain yep it, like the captain would be, would exist voice as over. a, yeah, a voice yeah, over the yeah. computer, yeah. Um, or like a, um, and, a Charlie Brown head where they walk into the red room, but the camera is cutting off the captain's head, you know, from behind them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If anything, if anything, it's a good if it, it's a good role to get someone famous to be yep. the captain who has like five lines across ten episodes or right. something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but like, or when they're on the bridge, you you you're only seeing it from like behind the the senior staff, so, right? Like, because that <laughs> that then feels a little bit more focused as to this is a story about lower decks and what they do and how they interact and all that kind of stuff. Um, senior so, officers here carry plots frequently, they, right? They carry the entire C plot, 
one of the things I was going to say was I get the feeling at times that they wish they were just doing a a senior staff show. Yeah, right. Because their Star Trek plots are good, and I think that they get good jokes out of them, but they are always through the eyes of the senior, senior staff where they should probably always be through the eyes of Lower Decks. Yeah. So whenever they do these Star Trek plots, I'm like, this is actually a good story. I think they could get a good, like a, they could get more out of this. It makes me feel like uh, they kind of wish that they were just doing a regular Star Trek show, but it was a comedy. Yeah. And I think if you took Which, the senior... I don't know. Maybe it shifts that way. Maybe that's what it turns into. Right. Yeah. They, they, they all, the lower decks characters just fade away. I, Everybody gets promoted. I could, I kind of see that because the, the senior staff seems like more of the jokes that they want to write. I, I think right. personally, if I was creating this and writing this, the lower decks crew would have the personal storyline, the, the sitcom, what we're mm-hmm. calling sitcom setups, which are like, they're not really Star Trek stories. They're just stories that apply to a whole bunch of characters but are set in this universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if they need to do a better job dividing it. I just don't think that they do the jokes in that world as well as they do the Star Trek jokes um at this point maybe the star trek ones are easier because they know what they're working with in that way but they don't really know what they're working with in terms of the characters at this point when they're writing this mm-hmm. stuff i yeah it's because I, I think that for me there's enough juice behind it just sort of making a parody of a star trek mission that, that there's enough comedy in there where i think you have to work really hard to make me care about a story that's not star trek backbone of something right like this dating right. storyline yeah. And I you know, I think they are I think they're doing an okay job as far as that goes cuz all of the 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 lower decks quote unquote non-Star Trekky stories that they are telling are linked to the larger Star Trek problem in some way. It's not it's not just a a one-off for the sake of doing a one-off. Like in this case, uh Boimler's girlfriend is is working on the calculations to regarding the moon implosion or whatever or whatever and tendy and rutherford are are scanning shit on the vancouver for mm-hmm. similar reasons so um they are linking them yeah i i don't know I, I i think i would prefer them to be a little bit more interlinked um because in this one this is the first one where the uh at least that I can that I'm remembering where the lower decks crew is not involved with the resolution of the problem because usually of the sci-fi pl- problem of the sci the Star Trek problem yeah uh, both of their both of their stories are operating independently from this moon plot that's going on yeah um, it they, is they a C, it is a C tan- plot they're totally divorced from it in a lot of ways it's yes not, yeah. yeah yeah they are they are tangentially associated with it but nothing that happens between Boimler, his girlfriend, and Mariner has any bearing on anything. Nothing that Tendi and Rutherford do has any bearing on anything. I'm not saying it has to every time, yeah. but those ones do seem like the more well-written ones where it's like, oh, clearly these are they've written this so there are payoffs to the larger thing involving the Lower Decks guys, and it doesn't just feel like they're off doing their own thing. Yeah. But, you know. I'd agree with it. Still, still figuring it out. We'll call it a day there. That's Cupid's Errant Arrow. Uh, we don't do the ratings or anything like this. Um, and if, again, if it seems like I'm being too easy on this show as compared to the maybe how I reacted to Picard and Discovery, I would say the difference is these shows are still well-written. They're like, I don't find anything structurally wrong. 
yeah. with these things. The stories they're telling are good for there's the most no, part. There's no weird decisions in this. You know, like, no, what the hell are all, they doing? It's, it, all, it's kind of a failed execution at most. If you like, it's like, yeah, it could have been funnier, but it's not a, yeah, I can't I believe they even, did that. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it a failed execution because that implies that they, they did something like wrong sure. or something didn't work. I think everything generally works. I think they can probably push it further. And they can probably lean into stuff more, but I don't think that they're actively doing bad stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I I imagine that they will have to push it somewhere because there's only so much longer you can get out of these like Star Trek references type stuff. And I we talked about what it was, but I, I, I would I would also like to see them dig into more um making fun of a a Star Trek concept in a more I don't know if a holistic way is the right way, like to really embrace a idea like the prime directive and build an episode around it being kind of funny. I think instead of just throw away jokes about being a prime directive. Mm. Like, I actually did like that joke though. When, when he pulled the prime directive card and she was like, this does nothing to do with the prime. Directive. Right. I, and I like that guy's, I, I think there's room there because I like that guy's joke of like, he's like, wait, they're talking about, you can either blow up this moon or that moon. And he just goes, this is an impossible decision. You know, it's, it's just kind of like a, right. an over-the-top funny Star Trek reaction. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's room to really move into those kind of spaces, yeah. I suppose. No, I, I do agree. I think, I think there's room to take a Star Trek plot and just walk through it and pull out the, the inherent humor of it. Yeah. You know, and any of those... I, like the first thing that comes to my mind is is like that Enterprise episode where uh, Archer and Trip go down and play naked lacrosse yeah. with the Kurgan. <laughs> yeah, right. Like I feel yeah. like I feel like just watching that episode, you could go, "What if we just did this and just pulled out all of the 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 humor innate to this this concept?" Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think I think there's a lot of room for that uh, because the other thing is, I do find so far the aliens they've come across to be. F- kind of samey where they're all kind of like over the top mad at starfleet Mm -hmm. um so it would be interesting for them to interact with a a species that's that's portrayed a little bit differently yeah they have a lot of leeway with the animation that they look different but we've either seen animalistic beast alien or Mm -hmm. um sort of like bureaucratic hand-wringing aliens who are just kind of like sort of like nebbish about everything uh were those with the guys on the ship, this time, those weren't supposed to be the Mick Fleetwood fish aliens, were they? I don't think so. No, no, no. Okay. They, they didn't make a reference to the one thing about the, those fish have to like stay in stasis or something for oh, their right, travel. Okay, yeah. Uh, besides laying down an incredible groove on the drums, um, <laughs> I guess that's it. We're done with this one. Cupid's Air and Arrow. Uh, that's it. You guys can support the show if you enjoyed the content at Patreon.com/slash/ThePensky File. It's much appreciated. And otherwise, all the links are down below. You can check out everything there. There's a Discord channel. If you want to join the Discord, you can do that. Um, I don't think there's really anything else. We'll just be back with the next episode, which I don't know what the title is. They haven't released it yet. And other than that, Enterprise continues. And then you, Clay, do you have anything? Uh, We just had a new Rotten Horror Picture Show come out this past week where we cover Halloween 2018, which is a lot of fun. And next week we have New Badass, which uh, I think it's... Ha- Harlequinade and House and Garden. Harlequinade. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. Avatar. Okay. Avatar and House and Garden, I believe, which is uh, uh, will be joined by one of the um, backers from my Bloody Hell Kickstarter is going to come on and, and chat with us about that. Cool. That's on the next badass. 
I think it's possible. I haven't looked. It could make knowing my track record, that doesn't come out for another month just, and a half. Just re release Bullock, uh, Bullock for Bullock, yeah. and we'll, we'll mm-hmm. move on. Um, yes, and you guys did the teaser for Batman, which was out on the YouTube right, channel yes. at this yep. point. Where Sean and I talk about our reactions to the the Batman trailer, which uh, I encourage you to check it out because this movie's not coming out anytime soon because they just shut the uh, filming down sick. again because Pattinson got COVID. But uh, Something in so, the way yeah. was COVID, I suppose. Yeah. that's. Um, I was listening to The Ringer talk about that. They they were talking about that that trailer just saying it's like it has all of the cliche tropes of a modern trailer at this point it's it's dramatic voiceover with a somber version of a pop song that's mm-hmm. been redone and like incredibly gloomy sort of uh stuff going on but they, they thought it was fairly effective at that point i out of people care about my thoughts i thought it was i thought it was effective i understand it and all it really you made the point about the batman uh, like showing up and talking to cops. It, it, yeah. To me, it highlights the problem with the darker that Batman gets, the less sense it makes that he looks like Batman in that universe. Like, mm. w- Well, depends on how you... I think it depends on how you portray the interactions with people, yeah. Right, well, th- this movie seems like it's set up as a seven-esque thriller mm-hmm. where, you know, the cop's like, God damn it, this guy tore this dude's intestines out through his asshole. And now he's like, there's murder right. riddles everywhere. And he's like, what do you think? And he turns and it's just Batman standing in the middle of the room. Right, and exactly. It's, it's yeah. sort of funny. It's it's almost like a joke that, that at yeah. that point, you know, if SNL could do a sketch about like, you know, a thrilling new intense crime drama where it's just all that kind of like cop shooting heroin and stuff and then going to this and then they're like what do you think and it's just a cheap batman suit standing yeah. in the middle of the room like i i how you have a scene where batman shows up to a crime scene in a movie like that that is is clearly they're going for a certain level of darkness and grittiness and you and you don't have batman interact like exclusively from the shadows of yeah. the room or something you yeah. know what i mean yeah where it's like he's just hanging out in the middle of the room with the cops. <laughs> he's got a coffee. A like just a cop gives him a coffee. He's just kind of yeah. sitting there. And there's drinking. a scene later in the trailer where he looks like he gets into a fight with a bunch of cops. I don't know if he gets arrested yeah. or if like they're just all hanging out in the break room yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the. Um, that, I didn't think it was a downside. I, it, just, it made me sort of laugh when I saw it. I was like, oh, he's just, he's, he's really just standing. Yeah, there. every. Th- I thought everything else in the trailer was tonally great. I mean, I guess you don't have to listen to my, my comments now, but uh, I thought everything else in the trailer tonally worked for me, except that one shot where it's just Batman hanging out at a crime scene in full view of all the cops. Yeah, yeah. But that's also goes into, I don't like Batman having an open relationship with the cops either, but that's just me. Yeah. I haven't, what's the, um, what's the Batman either story writer film or whatever where the biggest difference between batman and bruce wayne is that batman is the anger like in full force of bruce wayne because i the way i think of batman is batman to me i always wonder if there's a flaw in batman where he's usually portrayed as fairly calculated and cool and I, i wonder to me this the the sense of that character would be that he represents bruce wayne's anger at things and mm-hmm. so his rule where he doesn't kill is like his last attempt to s- kind of hold on to something you know like yeah but his he's always on the verge of killing is the way that i should imagine batman right. like he's right. like he's like ah like I, I, and then he pulls himself back and he he saves whatever humanity is left in him 
Is mm. there a story that that's kind of the focus of it? Uh, I'm sure there is. I know Sean's Batman is is a is much closer to that. I think where he's kind of on the edge the whole time. Um, I don't particularly ascribe to because it's you can write. That's the great thing about him is you can write them a million different ways and they all work because the the the, the core concept is so uh flexible universal yeah. it's it's so specific but it's also so open that you can interpret it as however you want um and i i i like the more calculated bat well i have a i have a emotional progression for batman that i that i like to think about but uh, uh i've always preferred him to be a little bit more calculating than just a a, a bruiser yeah I, I guess i never understood his greatest detective moniker it it like um well, it's because they never show it in the movies anyway. Yeah. They, it's because I so Batman solving crimes in a, on a minute level isn't horribly cinematic. Yeah, I, I, mean, I guess um, it flies in the face of what I see as his Batman persona. Like if he if he needs to dress up as this guy, I don't see him doing the detective work dressed up as Batman kind of like that. That feels like right, the Bruce Wayne right. persona is this sort of rational aspect. And once he gets the, to the answer, he puts on the costume and just beats the shit out of people basically. <laughs> Yeah, you know that's I mean? that's never as far as I know that's never really been the way that they portray him yeah. in in that sort of sense, no. Because does that make to me like I and we can just end with this, but it like it, it highlights the order versus chaos of Batman versus the Joker, right? But I mm-hmm. I think if Batman is teetering towards chaos that way, the Joker's argument to him is more tempting. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I think he's always kind of tempted by this, especially the Dark Knight story, where it's like, how much chaos sure. can I can I bring about, and what what good does your order do for anybody? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It was just it was interesting. I I thought about it just because the the line from the trail before he beats up those cops. I'm assuming he's or he beats them up and he says, "I'm vengeance" or something. Which right. I also kind of have a problem. Like, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if. I don't know if someone who does that should then just. I don't know if it's appropriate to just calmly say I'm vengeance. You know, like sure. I, I think yeah. I think vengeance has to be emoted in some kind of way that I think the Batman yeah. maybe is. I've never been horribly big on that either, just generally, because like I my my take on bat. I've I've talked about this a couple times on the badass show. Is my take my take on Batman is that he starts out wanting revenge specifically for the death of his parents yeah but then as he as he becomes batman and and what that and that turns into its own thing he then becomes an agent of prevention more than than vengeance you know what i mean yes uh so he's he's out he's not out there gleefully beating the shit out of people who have already murdered people he's trying to stop it from happening again this batman is year two right so that would kind of fit yeah Yeah. i mean that's that's what i'm that's what i'm hoping is that what they're doing is is kind of building this character arc for him where he goes from very angry young Batman into ultimately what what he turns into two movies later if they're going to do right. three of them or whatever. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, that's it. You guys can check out Sean and uh, Clay have more thoughts about that. We just gave the five-minute version. There's a longer version on YouTube and on the Badass feed. And that's about it. Thank you very much. You can support the show. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. And we'll be back with the next... Lower Decks episode and the next Enterprise episode. See you then.